Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray. Father, we are just in awe of the opportunity that we have to speak truth, to study truth, to hear from your word. And so I pray this morning, Father, as we open the scripture, that you would just give us clear understanding, that you would give us the ability to not only see the truth, Father, but to figure out how to apply it to our lives. And I pray that as we apply and understand and live this out, Father, we would be gracious and loving and honoring to you and to all that Christ sacrificed for us, Father. So through the power of the Spirit, I pray that you would give us the ability to be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. A few weeks ago, I guess about a month ago now, by a 5-4 to four majority ruling, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized gay marriage in all 50 states. And at the time, I had kind of seen this coming. I think most people had. And so I'd already started praying and thinking and preparing a message. And I elected to wait a few weeks because I wanted to make sure I could put the time necessary into this and the study necessary into this. And this morning, I stand here to preach this sermon fully aware that there are people in our community, that there are even people within our church that struggle with the issue of homosexuality. Some of you probably have close friends. Some of you even, I know, have family members that are homosexual. Some of you have struggled with or are struggling with this issue yourself. I understand, students, that it's a popular thing now to experiment with homosexuality. So I understand that this issue hits very close to home for a lot of people, and I want to be very sensitive. And so as I prayed through this and thought through this, the Lord reminded me of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, with Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus, speaking to them about their growth and maturity, says this, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who's the head, that is Christ. I think in this situation especially, we need truth and we need love. There are far too many people on both sides of the argument that have kind of come down wrongly on this, I believe. I think from the Christian community, there are far too many people that are speaking the truth without love. And I think outside of the church, there are far too many people that are speaking love without truth. And I think in the climate of the society that we live in currently, we desperately, desperately need Christians who are willing to speak the truth in love. So I have two goals this morning, two questions that I want to answer. The first, very simply, is what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality? I've read a lot these last several weeks. I'm sure you have too. The vast majority of what I've read has been incorrect, frankly. And so I want to see what the Bible actually says. We're going to walk through that in a little while. 
And then as we kind of get close to the end this morning, I want to give you some points of application, how we should actually respond. There are Christians and non-Christians all over the spectrum, and so I want to think clearly through the Word of God and understand the truth to help us live our lives and respond as biblically believing, loving Christians in our society. Now, Paul makes this interesting argument in the book of Romans. Romans is one of my favorite books. I'll never forget the first time I read through the New Testament. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're incredible stories of Christ and their their historical narratives. And they paint a picture of who he is and what he did and what he accomplished and what he lived for. And then you read through the book of Acts and you see the early church and what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles. And then you get into Romans and it's almost like you're wading into the, the depths of the love and the mercy and the grace of the Lord. It's just chock full of stuff. And so we're going to do the best we can to examine several of the passages of Scripture in Romans chapter 1. But I want to give you just kind of an overall theme of this book, an overall theme of the passage of Scripture we're going to read this morning. If you wanted to summarize at least the first portion of the book of Romans, you could say something like this. Sin equals death, and the only remedy is Christ. You see that all through Romans. Sin equals death, the only remedy is Christ. And so we're going to examine this morning Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. We're going to walk through passages of Scripture. We're going to make some points and speak some truth as we go. So Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. I think we've got passages of Scripture on the screen for us to follow through as well. Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And if you're taking notes, you ought to underline that sentence, suppress the truth. It's important. Pardon me, we'll get back to it in a second. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse... For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Excuse me. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And let's stop there just for a few minutes and let's draw a point of truth out I want you to understand. Number one. Based on Romans 1 verses 18 through 23 and following, truth number one is this. The wrath of God is revealed because we suppress the truth. Now I want to unpack that just for a few minutes. Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed because we suppress the truth. It's right there in verse 18. Bring verse 18 back up if you would for me, please. Verse 18 is very clear in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So there's this progression and this understanding we're going to see in this passage of Scripture. When we suppress truth... We see God's wrath. Now I would make the argument that this idea of homosexual marriage and homosexuality really at its core is about something different. 
We've heard a lot about it over the last many months and many years, and a lot of people have fought through it and prayed through it and struggled through it and tried to come up with answers, and they're not quite sure where to go. And so I would submit to you that it, that it, of course, is about homosexuality. And it is about homosexual marriage, but I believe at the core it's really a debate about truth. It's really about truth. And the question goes something like this. Who gets to determine truth? It's a fair question. It's a question you ought to consider yourself. Do we get to consider truth as individuals? Does our society get to make up truth? Or is there an absolute truth? Does God get to decide truth? Is the truth found in the Bible or is truth something that we can make up ourselves? And I think as followers of Jesus Christ, let me just say this. If we're going to claim to be Christians, if we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we need to build our lives based on this truth not on what truth society says or pop culture or our friend at work. Because I think far too many followers, far too many people have suppressed truth. I think far too many Christians and the church at large, unfortunately, is biblically illiterate on this issue. So if we're going to have any ground to stand on, if we're going to make any sort of a a, a progress forward, we need to first understand that there is truth. We need to stand on that truth. And when we move away from that truth and suppress it, we're going to see the wrath of God and we're going to see evil. That's what Romans 1 says. Now I know this is a hotly debated, debated topic and I know a lot of people have thought about this and a lot of people have struggled with this and a lot of people have written about it. And So I want to take a few minutes to understand exactly what truth is. If we're going to say we're going to stand on the truth of the Word of God, then let's just walk through some passages of Scripture that talk about the issue of homosexuality. Now I don't want you to flip back. I want you to maybe jot them down if you want to. You can read them later. But I want to walk through some passages of Scripture that think about and talk about this idea of homosexuality. And as we do this, I want you to notice the pattern. You're going to see the same sort of pattern throughout these passages of Scripture. Now, it's very interesting in my reading the last several weeks, and I've done an awful lot of reading. I know some of you have as well. It's it's interesting to me that the people that are kind of outside the church or or kind of rail against the church or the Bible, they always want to use the the book of Leviticus. Have you seen that? That's the passage of Scripture they want to use. And it turns into almost this sarcastic kind of a look at the book of Leviticus because they say something like this, well, are you going to stone people that do this? What about the verses of Scripture that say that the, the, the child that disobeys their parents should be taken out of the city gate and stoned? What about the verses that say don't eat shellfish? And it's almost like they're mocking the truth of Scripture. Well, that's probably a whole other sermon on the Old Testament law. But here's kind of the, the simple answer. The simple answer is we're not living under the law anymore. We're not Jewish people before the birth of Christ living in the temple law. God didn't call us to the book of Leviticus. We're New Testament Christians, right? We fall under grace and under Christ. So we need to be careful. Now having said that, that doesn't mean we just need to throw out the Old Testament. We we need to see it as the Word of God. It's absolute truth. It teaches us. We see a picture of Christ all through the Old Testament. But what I want you to see as we study these passages of Scripture in Leviticus and and Genesis and Ezekiel and some others we'll see, is there's a pattern. Really from the beginning of Scripture through the end. So I want to point out just a couple of quick verses and we're going to move on through these. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. I think we have this one on the screen. Again, there's a pattern here. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. 
Now we see that in several other examples. There's some in Leviticus 20, there's some in other parts of the law. I'm not going to read all of them. They basically say that. There's this sense here that this act of homosexuality is detestable by the words of the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 19, which we're going to get to here at some point as we move through the book of Genesis. We're going to pick that back up in a couple of weeks. We'll get to Genesis 19. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is about a lot of things, but kind of at the heart of that issue is the idea of homosexuality. You'll see it when we get there. We'll talk through and study it. But Ezekiel 16, verse 49, I think we have that, goes back and looks at the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to listen to this verse and then verse 50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom, right? So we're looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah. What was the actual sin? Well, there's several things. First of all, she and her daughters were arrogant overfed, unconcerned, they did not help the poor and the needy. Now verse 50, they were haughty and they did detestable things before me, therefore I did away with them as you have seen. Now that word detestable, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Leviticus referring back to homosexuality. So we, we see this sense in, in Leviticus and in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. We see it in Ezekiel 16 pointing back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this, this pattern. Again, we're, we're looking for this pattern to emerge. That homosexuality found in the Old Testament in the eyes of the Lord is sinful. Now some of you say, well that's great. The Old Testament, I'm not sure I can get into that. What, what, is, what does the New Testament say? Well, let's see what the New Testament says. It's always fascinating to me that the people that want to use the Bible to talk about homosexuality that are against it always point to the Old Testament because there are numerous examples in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, beginning in, I think beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that, that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, going to the next verse, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear here in 1 Corinthians 6. There's a sense that the homosexual is living in sin. Now let me just say this before I move past this. Because this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, speak about a lot of different things, right? Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, and greed. And there's this pattern through Scripture that I think we need to understand. Regardless of the sin that you're going to live in, regardless of the sin that you've been involved in, regardless of what lifestyle you find yourself in, there's always hope in Christ. We need to understand that. So regardless of what you've been caught up in or the the issues you've had in your life, whether you've been greedy or a drunkard or a thief or immoral or homosexual or whatever the list is here in 1 Corinthians 9, there's always hope in Christ. We see that over and over. But we're seeing a pattern emerge. 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. We have that one as well. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the ungodly and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, we see it again. We see this pattern that's developed. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it working through the New Testament. We're going to see it here in just a few minutes in Romans chapter 1. And then I've got a whole list. I don't have time this morning, but put this list up. These are verses in the New Testament that speak of the idea of sexual immorality and they all have in mind this idea of homosexuality. 
We see it over and over and over again. So I, I just want to be clear. I don't want, I don't want to kind of hammer this, but I just want to understand very clearly. If you study Scripture, if you rightly interpret Scripture all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, even in the, the understanding of what marriage actually is, and we don't have time to talk about this this morning, if you study and understand this, you see very clearly homosexuality is a sin. We see it through the Old Testament, we see it through the New Testament, we see it in all sorts of different instances. Now here's the interesting thing that I've seen the last few weeks. There are people that would say something like this, well you're misinterpreting the Word of God. I've read pastors, fortunately none of them have been local, but I've read pastors who've said something like this, well those verses are all there, but they're not really talking about this issue. And they kind of twist the Word of God and they twist the Scripture to say it means something else. I think it's very interesting, just to be clear. You need to hear this now. For the first 19 centuries after the birth and death of Jesus Christ and His ascension to heaven, the 19 centuries that follow that, the Christian church across the world has taught that homosexuality is a sin. You need to understand that. There's really not been much debate. There are a couple of outliers you can point to, but by and large, the church has seen this the same. The greatest theologians of all time. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, on and on the list goes. These are people that have spent their lives studying the Word of God. They're renowned as some of the greatest theologians in history. None of those people have seen the same thing that is claimed to be seen in the last several years. I think it's very interesting. How is it that we've become so smart in the last 50 years that we've found something in Scripture that all of the church, all through history, and the greatest theologians in the world have missed? I think that's interesting. It's almost as if we've got this revelation that nobody in the last 1900 years has had. Now here's what's actually going on. We've suppressed the truth, haven't we? We've suppressed the truth of the Word of God and we've bought into what society tells us, we've bought into what pop culture tells us, we've bought into all sorts of things, but the Bible is clear, very clear, homosexuality is a sin, and when we suppress, bring that first point back up, Stephen, when we suppress the truth, we see God's wrath. Okay, so that's the pattern we're seeing here. That's the pattern that's evident already in Romans chapter 1. Now we're going to keep going. Look at verse 24. Bring Romans 1, 24 up for me. When we suppress the truth, we see evil, we see God's wrath. Now Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, and that, that, that's important. If you're ever studying the Word of God and you come to the Word, therefore, they used to teach us, what's it there for? That's what you're supposed to say, right? What's therefore, therefore? In other words, why is it actually here? What is he referring back to? So Paul's saying here, because we've suppressed the truth, because we've given ourselves over, because we're not listening to the Lord, because we've seen His wrath, Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So here's truth number two. When we suppress the truth, 
we begin to see the wrath of God. And then truth number two, God gave them up to lust and impurity. So the, the pattern is this. When we suppress the truth of the Word of God and we set it aside and we say it's not important and we say it's irrelevant and we say it's antiquated and we no longer want to hear it, we see the wrath of God and we see that God then allows us, He gives us over to this lustful thought, to the idea of idolatry because we've worshipped creation instead of the Creator. We've exchanged the truth for a lie. Now here's the interesting part of this passage of Scripture. I think this is what we've seen played out in our country over the last many years. None of these things happen overnight. It's not as if you wake up one day and everything's changed totally different than the day before. Instead what we see is this gradual progression. This slow progression. The more we suppress the truth of the Word of God, the more we set it aside, the more we ignore it, the more sin we see. I think it's the pattern we see in America today. I think it's the same idea we've seen in our country over the last many years. For whatever reason, at some point in the very near past, the church at large, Christians individually, and I don't know if I'm talking to you or not, but the church at large has basically begun to suppress the truth of the Word of God when it's uncomfortable in social circles. We've done that, haven't we? And we would never say anything like this, probably out loud, but we may be thinking it's a lot easier if I just kind of ignore this and go along to get along than to stand up for the truth of the Word. It's a lot easier for me if I just, in the words of the Bible, suppress the truth because then nobody's going to be mad at me. Nobody's going to laugh at me. Nobody's going to call me these names. Nobody's going to kind of set me aside or kind of ostracize me. If I just kind of go along to get along... If I'll just kind of suppress the truth, then it'll be a lot easier for me. Now, here's what you need to understand. It may be easier in the short term, but the Bible is clear. As we continue to suppress the truth, the Lord is going to give us over more and more to the sin of this world. Now, Romans 1, 26 and 27, just to be clear, is very simply talking about homosexuality. In fact, I want to read it again just to be very clear. Because of this... God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, some of the things I've read over the last few weeks are fascinating to me because there are people that would say something like this. Well, okay, I read that passage of Scripture... I read Romans 1 and verses 26, 27 and following. But nowhere in here does it actually say it's a sin. In other words, the word sin is not actually used in verse... I've read that in verses 26 and 27. Well, that's true. Let me read you some of the words that are used. Impurity. Dishonoring of their bodies. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Dishonorable passions. Contrary to nature. Shameless acts. Penalty for the errors. Those are incredibly strong words. All point to the idea of sin. Now I know what some people are thinking. This is the discussion I've had these last few weeks with some people. I know what some people are thinking. Okay, so I I get it, right? So the Bible is pretty clear. I mean, you, you almost have to be willingly ignorant to say the Bible doesn't call it a sin. Some of you would say, okay, I get that, but here's the problem I have, Adam. It's becoming so popular. There's so many people doing it. Such a large percent of the population are homosexual. Now, what are we supposed to do as believers? Well, I want to give you an interesting stat. I want to do something. I don't want you to raise your hand or say anything out loud. I just want you to think. If I ask you, 
What percent of the population claim to be homosexual? What number would you say? If I asked you what percent of the population is gay, what would you say? Some people say, I don't know, maybe as much as 50. Some would say, no, that's probably too much. 33, I don't know, a fourth, maybe 25. Well, Gallup research has shown that Americans think between 20 and 25% of the population is gay. That's kind of what most people think. When they do the research, most Americans say, and I, I, I did this, I was just interested this week, I asked a few people, I got between 20 and 25% for most people. That's what they say. Research is probably about right. Here's the interesting thing. Let me read you an actual stat. I, I love how actual stats actually give us truth. I pull this up on Wikipedia, by the way. I like doing that. I like to use the Wikipedia to make Christian points. In the first, this is a quote from this article. In the first, the first large-scale government survey measuring Americans' sexual orientation, right? So they finally did this major large survey to try to figure out what's going on. The NHIS, which is the National Health Interview Survey, they're affiliated with the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. So this is a big deal. They did this massive study. They reported in July of 2014, right, just a year ago that, you ready for this? 1.6% of Americans identify as gay or lesbian. 1.6. You say, is that, is that even possible? I mean, it's all over the news, it's all over TV shows, it's all in the movie. It is possible. It's possible because the media has led us to believe that something's going on that's not really going on. So here's the fascinating thing. Canada did a study, by the way, in 2012. They found that 1.3% identified as gay. So just follow the logic with me now, okay? That means that 1.6% of the population has changed the law for the other 98.4%. You understand that? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? If I stacked up pennies up here, if you could see them, if I put them on the table, I could put, just to be fair and round up a little bit, I could have 98 pennies on this side, I would have two on this side. These two affected the other 98. You say, how is it possible that 1.6% of the population has actually changed the law for 98.4%? You know how it's possible? Because we've exchanged the truth for a lie. We've let it happen. And I think we need to look no farther than in the mirror. It's popular and it's easy for us to blame culture, for us to blame the world, for us to call out people that are unbelievers and say that they're wrong. It's easy for us to do that. But when's the last time we stood up for the truth? When's the last time we stood in society and said, you know what, this may not be popular, but it is the truth of God. It is Scripture. It is what I believe. It is how I'm going to live my life. Now, by the way, I don't have time to get into this this morning, but these passages in Romans and Old Testament and 1 Corinthians and all these passages we've looked at oftentimes mention homosexuality along with other sexual sins. Now, I want to be careful what I say here, but I want you to hear me. I think we ought to be awfully careful condemning homosexuality when we just allow adultery to take place and nobody seems to care. I think that's a problem. I've read a lot of things this week, and, and I've, I've read, I, I was very intentional about reading a lot of things that homosexuals wrote. I just wanted to know. I think it's fair to do that. And I, I saw a lot of things that I disagreed with. Some things, frankly, that infuriated me. Some things that, that twisted the truth of the Word of God. But a couple of things I read that were, I thought, pretty clear and pretty fair is when they would say something like, listen, Christian, they would say, 
If you really want to talk about the sanctity of marriage, then quit getting divorced. If you want to lecture us on what marriage ought to really look like, then you should live as the Word of God says. Now, I know people in here have been divorced. I'm not, I know that. I understand that. And I know it's not always your fault. I know sometimes we seek the Lord. But I just think it's very difficult for us as Christians to hammer down on one sexual sin when we're well aware that there are all sorts of other sins going on in our life and we just sweep those things under the rug. I think we've missed the ball here, man. I think we've missed the truth. I think we've, I think we've just done something wrong and we've, we've exchanged the truth for a lie. And I think the Lord very clearly is given us over to the lust of our heart and the lust of our thoughts and the lust of our minds because we've taken this truth and we've suppressed it and we've set it aside. Now some of you are saying, okay, I get that, right? So there's not as many people as I thought. The Bible is pretty clear. I I see the progression. But what about people that are born with it, Adam? I've had this conversation this week. What about people that are born with it? Well, I want to speak to that just for a couple of minutes because I think there's some confusion here as well. First of all, there's, there's no medical proof that that even exists. We need to understand that, first of all. There's no scientific evidence that that's actually true. There's a lot of disagreement with that and all sorts of studies that have been done and people come down on both sides of this issue. But I, I just want to assume for a minute that that is the case. Maybe somebody was born with these tenets. They have a natural desire to do these things. Here's the question we have to ask, and we need to go to the logical conclusion here. Are we now saying in our society, or even as Christians, if somebody is born with a desire to do something, regardless of what that is, we should be okay with them doing it? Because if you're going to say yes to the idea of homosexuality, you better be prepared to carry that logic into other parts of your life. Here's what I mean. If I were to say to you, I've got a desire to commit adultery. In fact, I've kind of always desired to do that. When I was younger, I thought maybe one day I'll get married, then I'll have several affairs. That's kind of who I am. It's kind of always who I've been. It's really what I want to do. Would anybody in here excuse that lifestyle? Would anybody say, that's okay, no big deal, it's fine if you want to do that. Do what makes you happy. I I doubt if anybody in here would say that. What if I were to say to you, I've got a desire to do drugs. From a young age, man, I've just been gripped with this passionate desire to do illegal drugs. And I've dabbled in it over the years and I've struggled with it. Is it okay for me to do illegal drugs? I bet all of us would probably say, no. It's not okay for you to do that. What, What about polygamy? And by the way, that's, the, that's where we're going next. You need to prepare yourself for that. If we, if we redefine marriage, why not continue to redefine it? But what if I say to you, I have a desire to have multiple spouses. You say, I have a desire to have multiple wives or multiple husbands. There are people that believe this. There are people that are preaching this way. Should we say to them, it doesn't really matter if it feels good, do it. Just live the life anyway. A society has answered no to this. Our laws have answered no to this. Men, if we were honest with each other, if we were totally honest with each other, we would say we struggle with lustful thoughts. That's just, that's just how man, men live. And we, this is a constant struggle for most men. And so would we say to our wives, honey, I've got this struggle. You know, these lustful thoughts keep coming to mind. Is it okay if I go look at some pictures when you're not around? I can guarantee you I know the answer to that. <laughs> you know the answer to that too, don't you? But yet, for some reason, in this particular area, because we've suppressed the truth with a lie, we seem to say it's okay. If you were born with this idea, you need to go ahead and do that. It's not a big deal. If you're struggling with it, that's okay. We understand. Just do whatever makes you feel good. I think we need to be very clear and very careful that just because we have a tendency to do something doesn't mean it's 
okay to do it in the truth of the Word of God. So there's a progression. We're walking through the progression, right? We see that the idea of the truth has been suppressed. We see that when the truth is suppressed, lies emerge. We're, we're confused in our society. We've been tricked. For some reason, a small percentage has changed the majority opinion because we haven't studied the Word of God. We haven't stood firm on the foundation. Where do we go next? Well, look at verse 28. Let's continue this process. Verse 28, furthermore, right? So he's, I love how Paul, Paul is so logical in his thinking. There are always progressions, right? Furthermore, right? Because you've exchanged the truth for lie, because you've seen the wrath of God, because you've been given over to your lustful thoughts. Furthermore, verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, Evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, right? I threw that in there at the end of verse 30, verse 31. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And now here, watch this. This is where it's going to hammer you. It's going to hit the, 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 the rubber. is going to meet the road right here in verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decrees... That those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. They approve of those who practice them. Here's truth number three. We need to be very wise in the way we respond. We need to be very wise in the way we respond. And so I want to give you three areas based on the truth of Romans 1. Three ways, very simply, that we can respond to this issue based on the truth of the Word of God. Number one, we have it on the screen for you. We should retain the knowledge of God and understand the biblical truth on this issue. The first way we respond as Christians is we better understand the truth... And we better retain the knowledge of God because one, verse, chapter 1 in Romans tells us that they didn't retain the truth. They didn't understand the Word of God. They suppressed the truth for a lie. We can't as Christians be swayed by popular culture. We must be followers of the Word. And if we don't establish ourselves firmly in God's truth, we're going to be tossed back and forth. And when we suppress that truth, God's going to give us over to more and more sin. In fact, if you wanted to kind of make a prediction about our world and about Christianity in general, especially in the West, the more we suppress the truth, the more sin we're going to see. You can just mark it down. It's right here in Scripture. The more we shy away from the Word of God, the more we're going to see the wrath of God fall upon us. So that's the first thing. We need to understand truth. We need to acknowledge the Word of God. Secondly, we need to be careful not to approve of those who practice these sins. The Bible is very clear. There are people that did these things and there are also those who approve of them that practice it. It's been very disheartening for me, frankly, to see an awful lot of Christians approving of this decision. It's been very disheartening to me personally to see a lot of believers approving of this lifestyle. There are far too many people who've come down on this side even celebrating this lifestyle. I think if you find yourself in that category, you ought to read Romans 1.32 again. 
Y'all understand that Paul warns us against this idea. We can't approve of the lifestyle of homosexuality. And now number three, probably the most difficult, but maybe the most important. Understanding the truth, we need to love like Christ. Understanding the truth, we need to love like Christ. See, true love, I put the hashtag up at the beginning because I've seen all over social media, it's hashtag love wins, have you seen that? I changed it this morning for my sermon personally. I think it ought to be hashtag true love wins. Because if we truly love somebody, even if they're different than us, we show them respect, we show them compassion, and ultimately we point them towards Christ. See, Jesus had this very interesting thing that he did. If you study the word and you study who he was... Jesus was very compassionate for people that lived in sin. You see that over and over. But what Jesus always did, and this is the part that media misses oftentimes when they talk about the love of Jesus. Jesus loved everyone, especially the sinners, but he always called them to repentance. In fact, if you remember the story of the woman who committed adultery, remember the story, and they brought her up, and they've accused her, and they're getting ready to throw the stones. You remember the story? And the Bible tells us Jesus kneels down and he writes something in the dirt. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. I think it's interesting. I'd, I'd love to know that one day when I'm in heaven. But as he writes things in the dirt, the Bible says that these guys just kind of drop away one by one. One by one. And he stands up to the woman and he basically says, where are your accusers? And she says, I, I guess they're gone. And he says something that's very, very fascinating to me. He basically tells her, tells her, I'm not condemning you, but do you understand what he says at the very end? He gives her a command. He says, I'm not condemning you, but here's what he says. Go and sin no more. See that? It's a picture of, look, I don't, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with your lifestyle. Man, I love you. You know why I love you? Because I'm a sinner just like you are. You're struggling with this sin. Maybe it's a little more open and it's more in our society, but I'm struggling with this sin just as much as you are. And it's wrecking me and it's pulling me away from the things of the Lord just like your sin is. And so I want you to know in the name of Jesus Christ that, that if you're struggling with this sin, if you hear me now or you hear me by podcast or you hear at some point that I preach this sermon, I want you to know I don't approve or agree with your lifestyle, but I love you in the name of Christ. You're welcome to my home with my family. You're welcome to come talk to me. I would love to help you. And if you want to study the Word of God, we can do that. If you just want to hang out, we'll do that. Because I think we've missed this far too much. We're so interested in hammering the truth that we miss the idea of love. And I think it's, it's high time we realize as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not going to reach the world with truth only. We're going to reach them when we speak the truth in love, just like Christ did. I want to finish with an article I read this week. I thought it was very interesting. It was in Christianity Today. It was a couple of years ago. Written by a woman who'd struggled for many years with homosexuality. And she begins the argument, like the, the article like this. I thought it was very interesting. She said, As a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. That's how she begins the article. Those who professed Jesus' name commanded my pity and wrath. Stupid pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and the God Jesus. So, so, so she re recounts her life and she tells the story in this article of her hatred to Christians. How she railed against God and against the Bible. And she wrote this article in the local newspaper that attacked the Trinity of God. And a local pastor read this article and he wrote her a letter. I want to read from the article now. 
She said it was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken, who was the pastor, encouraged me to explore the kind of questions I admire. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know you're right? Do you believe in God? He didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergird it. I didn't know how to respond, so I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the recycling bin and I put it back on my desk where it stared at me for a week, confronting me with a worldview divide that demanded a response. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. The Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as the blue sky. This was not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. So when his letter inviting me to get together for dinner came, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good for my research. But something else happened. Ken and his wife Flo and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet he was full of mercy. And because Ken and Flo did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be their friends. So she goes on to write, I wrestled with the question, did I really want to understand homosexuality from God's point of view? Or did I just want to argue with him? I prayed that night that God would give me the willingness to obey before I understood. I prayed long into the unfolding of day. When I looked in the mirror, I looked the same. But when I looked into my heart through the lens of the Bible, I wondered, am I a lesbian? Or has this all been a case of mistaken identity? If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide marrow from soul, could he make my true identity prevail? Who am I? Who will God have me to be? And then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus. In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Flo was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. And Jesus triumphed. I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, He could make right my world. I drank tentatively at first and passionately of the solace of the Holy Spirit. I rested in private peace, then community, and today in the shelter of a covenant family where one calls me wife and many call me mother. I have not forgotten the blood Jesus surrendered for this life. You know, folks, this debate is going to rage on. We're going to find ourselves embattled in this discussion for many years to come. But if there's one group in this world that can absolutely speak the truth in love, let it be us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we serve you. We understand the truth of your word. Lord, it's very challenging to us. It can be very convicting in our hearts. 
And so, Lord, I pray right now that as we kind of digest all that you've shown us, all that you've given us, as we think through the Scripture and the, the progression in Romans 1 and the idea of suppressing the truth, Father, I pray you would just wash over us, first of all, with just a clear understanding of your Word. But I pray, in addition to that, Father, you would wash over us with a, just a, a clear desire to love those that are struggling with this issue, to reach out our hands in peace and to say to them, we don't agree with you, but we love you and you are welcome to be with us. We want to talk with you. We want to share with you. We, 